Time for the word, man. Okay, there's definitely no Wycliffe people here tonight. <laughs> that would be a big yell out. It's time for the word. <laughs> and my favorite, my favorite, Pastor Marlon. All right. <laughs> What's going on, Lorraine? Somebody give it up for the Lord. Amen, amen. I could have worshipped all night, I'm telling you. David said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. Amen. We love to say out in Wycliffe, the joy is your compass and Jesus is your destination. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's pray before we open. Father, we just thank you right now for this opportunity to be here, Lord. We thank you uh, that you invited us here, Father. You were already here, God. So I pray, Father, that you would just open our ears to hear your voice, Father. Open our minds, God, tonight. I pray, Father, that you would change and transform us, Lord. Don't allow us to walk out of here the same way that we walked in. We love you and we bless you tonight, Jesus. And in your precious name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife was telling me about uh, one of her sister's friends that um, was celebrating his wife's 50th birthday. And what he did was they, they live in Ocala, Florida, and so to celebrate her birthday, they drove from Ocala, Florida to Amelia Island in Florida, and that's about, I don't know, two miles, it's about, I'm sorry, a two-hour distance. And so they went out there, they hung out all day, and they celebrated her birthday. Um, they all got rooms there, and they spent the night. And the, uh, the next day, they got up, and he had a surprise for her. He said he, you know, he had planned this, this day for her. And so they got up and they jumped in the car and they rode to the destination. And as they got there, they covered her eyes and they got her out of the car and they walked her out and they got to the spot and they took their hands off her eyes and said, surprise. And I mean, what he did was he rented a boat to take her out on the ocean all day. You know, that's pretty awesome, right? Pretty amazing. Well, her response was, what do you think is going to happen here? You, oh, you think I'm going to get on that boat? Who's driving? Oh, you're driving. Are you crazy? Are you insane? Like, I'm not getting on that boat. She, he had no idea that his wife wasn't okay hanging out on the ocean all day, and she definitely wasn't okay with him playing Captain Dan. Michelle's sister was filming the whole thing until she realized that things weren't at all like going the way that they had planned it, right? And so they exchanged some words, but eventually she ended up agreeing and getting on the boat, and they ended up having a good time. But um, this dude right here, this is a dude who thought he was doing the right thing, right? He thought he was doing the right thing just to find out that he was completely off course, completely on the wrong, on the wrong road, <laughs> Right? Like, have you ever done that? Have you ever just thought you were doing the right thing just to find out? You weren't at all on the mark. Now, our text today is from the book of Acts, and I want to take a look at Saul of Tarsus, who in his mind thought that he was doing the right thing, only to discover that the Lord had plans, a different plan for him. Let's take a look at... Um, Acts 9, 1 through 11. We got a lot of text, so work with me here. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, 
went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly, somebody say suddenly, a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Everybody else might not see what the Lord shows you. But I'm telling you to keep moving on. Amen. Then Saul rose from the ground, and, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one, but, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight. And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. I want to pull out verse 11 there and talk to you about being found on Straight Street. Acts 9 begins with Saul's conversion. And, and Saul, was, he was educated. His theology was pretty solid. He was a passionate dude about his service to God. And, and yet his work for God was in direct opposition to God. He actually believed that he was doing the right thing by persecuting, by persecuting Jews. Because in the past, Israel had turned away from God. And so for Saul, he believed that, that he was actually protecting Israel and God's honor by getting rid of the followers of Jesus. But the enemy is sneaky, right? He's, he's cunning. He'll puff us up till we believe that our way is the right way. But the Bible tells us there's only one way to the Father, and that's Jesus. Amen? So the reality was that Saul was lost in sin and darkness. He was deceived by the enemy. Like, I don't know if anybody in here can relate to Saul, but, but I've, I've been lost in sin and darkness a couple times. I, I've, been, I've been deceived a couple of times, Right? But how many of you know that the Lord God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth? That he's a savior, he's a redeemer, he's a, he's a deliverer, and he'll never leave you where he finds you. Amen? This passage is about Saul's conversion along the road to Damascus and how he ended up on a street called Straight. Now, we were all lost at some point. But, but here's what I know is that no one becomes a follower of Jesus apart from conversion, right? There has to be a change or, or a shift in your life where we're seeing things from our own self-centered perspective and, and asking the Holy Spirit to help us see things from God's perspective, from a heavenly lens. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are what? Converted. Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And so today I just want to talk to you about finding our way to Straight Street. And I love that it's called Straight Street. It, I believe it speaks of a certain kind of walk with God, a lifestyle that's in, in harmony with the will of God and, and, and this oneness with the body of Christ. Amen? It's a pursuit of God. And it's not only a pursuit of God, but it's a willingness to actually walk it out. Straight Street is a place where we get serious about the things about God. Amen? It's where our spirits actually come alive. It's a place where we discover the, this abundant life that, that, that Jesus died for us to live. But there's a lot of people who don't find their way to Straight Street which I feel is this reflection of, of the narrow gate that Jesus talks about, right? In, in Matthew seven thirteen through 14, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is um, it's an invitation from Jesus, and it describes, describes two gates, it describes two ways, it describes two destinations and two groups, the many and the few. And Jesus counsels his disciples to be the few, to be the few that enter through this narrow gate, and he's still extending that invitation to us today. It's only on Straight Street that you're going to be, we're going to be fruitful it's only on straight street that we'll find meaning in our lives, that we'll find uh, a fulfill God's purpose in our lives. It's only on straight street that we're going to grow in a deeper relationship with God. Amen? Amen. Scripture says uh, in 9.3, it says, As he journeyed, as Saul journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Saul was on his own life journey. Saul was living his way following his desires. He had a noble profession. He was a prophecy. He was educated. He studied under the best teachers. He was successful. You know, he came from a family of Roman citizenship. Saul was driven. He knew where he wanted to go and how to get there. Saul went to the high priest. He questioned, or I'm sorry, he requested a couple of warrants and, 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 and was on his way to arrest and wreak havoc on, on, on Christians. But on his way to arrest others, God arrested him. Amen? He was deceived, and, and, and it's easy to deceive ourselves into thinking that, that we got it all together, but that we have it all together, but end up being out of the, the, the will of God. Right? The Bible warns us about deception in 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 19. It says, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. You see, we don't, we don't need to, like, to neglect the pursuit of knowledge, but, but if it's worldly wisdom that we're pursuing then that's holding us back from God, it ain't wisdom at all. Like Saul, some of us are on our own life journey. We're walking our own way. We're following our own desires. We might be successful at our jobs, well-educated, attending church faithfully every Sunday, but still walking in darkness. 
But the good news is this, is that, is that the mercy of God reaches far beyond our darkest places. It bypasses the worst things that we've ever done. Jesus is constantly pursuing us and wants to snatch us out of our darkest nights. We're never too far gone for God to redirect our steps and bring us back to him. God knows how to straighten everything out, right? It doesn't matter how bad things are or what your life looked like in the past, he still specializes in straightening out crooked places. No matter what the problem is, Jesus is always the answer. And he'll make a way where there is no way. Amen? So how do we get to straight street? The first thing we need is we need humility. We need to humble ourselves. Verse 4 says, then he fell to the ground. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, in the light of Jesus, all of Saul's education, his accomplishments, his family background, it was all meaningless. All meaningless. The proper response in the presence of holiness is to fall to your knees. That's the proper response. His only hope at that moment was Jesus. Our only hope is Jesus. At some point, our prideful campaigns have to come to an end. Whether it's politically or socially, Jesus is Lord. Listen, pride is the original sin that caused Satan to fall when the devil decided to lift himself up and say in his heart five times, I will, I will, I will. The same pride that caused war in heaven integrated itself here on earth. And what happens is when, when, when pride creeps in our lives, it's the devil's attempt to pull us away from God. What he's doing is he's trying to convince us that, that we can do life without God. But how many of you know we can do nothing apart from God? We, and this sentence might hurt, but we are the most like Satan when we walk in pride. The Bible says that God hates pride. Proverbs 6, uh, 16 through 18 says that, that, that these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. And pride makes number one on the list, right? It's, it's above murder. It's above lying. It's above evil plots. I believe that all rebellion stems from pride. Pride is the root of so many of our struggles, and the Bible tells us that God hates it. But he doesn't hate people, right? He's a good father. He loves us. We have two teenagers, and, um, you know, two of the words that I, I, I can't stand to hear, you know, when you're, you're trying to talk to your teenagers and give them a little nugget, you know, or wisdom, talk to them, you know, two of the words that I can't stand to hear, I know, You know. You know. You're telling me in the 16 years that you've been walking on this ball of dirt, you know. Oh, can't stand it. 
You know, I'm like, because when I look at the choices that you're making and the folks you're hanging around, it don't seem like you know. But I feel like, I feel like that's what happens with us when God tries to guide us. Right? We are those teenagers. Right? God is sitting here trying to tell us. He, he, he bring, he's bringing somebody into your life, and you're like, yeah, she's nice, God, but I really like her. God said, okay, I guess you know. I'll see you in seven years, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, we'd rather, we'd rather settle for pleasure than the promises. See, I don't hate my kids because of their choice. I love my kids. I want to see them soar. Right? God doesn't hate his children. He wants to see us excel in our purpose. He doesn't hate people. He hates the behavior. Because what our pride ultimately says to an omniscient God is thanks but no thanks. It says, thanks for your word, God. Thanks for that personal love letter that you wrote to me, but, but I know. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. I know what's happening. You know what I mean? I'll get with you when I need you. When, when the reality is, is that his thoughts are higher than our silly little thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. He knows the beginning from the end and everything in between, and we have no idea what we're doing tomorrow at noon. The Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to those that are humble. I don't know about you guys, but but I need God's grace. I need the grace of God in my life every single minute of every single day. Ask my wife. The only way to receive grace is through humility. If we're ever going to be used in the kingdom, we got to humble ourselves before God and before others. Jesus said that I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Humility is the cloak of the true servant. Amen? Another way to get the straight street is through revelation. Acts 9, 3 through 5 says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the ghost. Revelation is when, is when God interrupts our journey with his light. Right, it's when, it's when he breaks into our darkness, shines his light on our situations, and helps us to see two things. It helps us to see his truth, and it also helps us to see ourselves as we are. In Philippians 3, 4 through 8, Saul, now Paul, says to the Philippians, who at that time were, they were glorifying their, their religious practices, And he says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks that that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. See, Paul ain't bragging here. Paul's not bragging. What he's doing is, is just the opposite. He's letting us know that there, there's, there's no human achievement. There's nothing that we can do to earn eternal life from God. Nothing that we can do. He's telling us that all things, everything that you can touch, see, and smell in this, on, on this earth, in this world, is just garbage it's compared to knowing Jesus. It's nothing compared to knowing Jesus. So it doesn't matter how much, how much money you got. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive, how big your house is, what first-class seat you just came off of, what vacation you just took. Nothing compares to knowing the person of Jesus. Even our righteousness is, is, is like filthy rags. For Saul, it was, it was in that suddenly moment that he began to have a personal encounter with Jesus. How many of you guys know that, that you need your own personal encounter with Jesus? Like, it can't be Big Ma's encounter with Jesus. It can't be Meemaw's encounter with Jesus. Like, no, 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 no. It's like the 1980s Hey Love commercial. No, my brother, you got to get your own. Some Christians today are like, are like Saul was. Saul heard about Jesus, but he had never had a personal encounter with him. There's people in church today that, that, that are in church because grandma drug them to church. Or in church because mom brought them to church. And that's awesome and all, but, but, but I mean, you know that if, if grandma and mom ain't around, you better know how to call on the name of Jesus. Saul refers to this, this suddenly experience as, as the start of his new life in Jesus. The new birth is something that's supernatural. Like, you don't, you don't get it by, by joining the church. You don't, you don't get it because, because you're good friends with the pastor. The new birth is something that's supernatural, and, and, and it's like no other experience that anybody else has had. Don't allow nobody to tell you that your experience has to look or sound or be like anybody else's, right? I mean, for me, it was in a condominium in Brook Park. That's when he came and he shone his light on me, right? That's when he, that's, that was that moment that he walked in and, and, and gave me a heart transplant where he reached under my fifth rib and removed that heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. That was the moment that he removed my grave clothes and robed me in his righteousness, amen? That was the moment that he wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life and called me his son. That was that moment. I don't care who you are. He'll take you off of a crooked path and place you on a street called straight. 
We can't get the straight street without a revelation of how lost we are without him and coming to know the person and the character of Jesus. Amen? The third way to get the straight street is absolute surrender. Absolute surrender. Acts 9, 6 says, So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And then guess what he did? He went. That would be like us hearing the voice of the Lord in here right now. They said, Arise. And go to Cleveland. Walk to Cleveland. And when you get there, you'll be told what you must do. Now, I'm scanning the room right now, and I see some people that would get up and start walking. There's some folks that would get up and start walking. Then there's a group of us that would be like, give me a sign, Lord. Give me a sign. And then the rest of us just get in the car and drive home. <laughs> and call the first group, probably text them two, uh, two hours later like, where y'all at? <laughs> I ain't talking about that kind of surrender. Right? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the surrender that some of us sing about because it's a cool song. Some of us surrender for a couple of hours on on Sunday. We surrender for an hour and a half on on Wednesday and maybe an hour or two throughout the week. I'm, I'm not talking about that surrender. Our surrender should should depict complete and unreserved yielding to the Lord. It's it's a total show of submissiveness to God. It's the height of our commitment to God to serve him all the days of our lives. Our sincerity is tested at the altar of absolute surrender. We can get, I'm I'm talking about myself here, we can get so caught up doing our own work, right? And we're all guilty of it, me included. We get up in the morning and immediately we start building our own kingdom. This is what I got to do who I got to text, where I got to go. And a lot of us, we struggle at absolute surrender because what it means is giving over everything to the Lord. Our marriages, our kids, our careers, our education, our finances. Complete and total surrender. But once we've we've given all those things over, once we've offered them to him by faith, What happens is they become to us what they already are to him, his. They're already his. The church needs to get back to that first love, that that Isaiah, send me, surrender. Where you said that, that I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere for you, Lord, and you actually meant it. That's where God does all the cool stuff, is in our surrender. What happens after a while is is what we do is we become professional Christians. 
we get this whole like serving God business down pat and we say things like, like I've already done that before. I paid my dues there. I was, I was a camp hippie this year at camp, at JK camp. <laughs> I've been a bear. I've been Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> I am 49 years old, y'all. I ain't paid my dues until he say so. <laughs> you know, we say things like that. Like, God don't want me to serve in kids' church. I got, I got too much to offer the adults out here. But have you asked God lately, like Saul, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? But, but here's the disclaimer after you ask that question. You got to shut up. You got to shut up and you got to, more importantly, be obedient. Prayer, it isn't us doing all the talking. One of the, the most valuable ex- ex- exercises that I learned after uh, reading the Emotional Healthy Spirituality. We did a class, uh, Pastor Mary taught the, cla- taught the class to the, um, to the staff, and Pastor Tina taught it this summer. But one of the most valuable things that I learned in that course was how to sit still and cultivate a life of prayer where I'm listening for the voice of God instead of placing my order. Heal me. Save me. Protect me. I learned to listen for the voice of the Lord and see what he wanted to do. Ask him what he wanted. What can I do for you today, Lord? And then listen. We can get so caught up. I know I get so caught up with what I want that I never even consider what God wants to do. But, but in order to know what he wants, we got to know his voice. We have to know his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and the strangers, they will not follow. The time for half-hearted obedience is over, church, and if we're ever going to expect to get to straight street, we need to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, absolute surrender, laying everything down. That means removing ourselves and putting God back on the throne of our hearts and allowing the Holy Spirit to move without interference. Listen, we can't, we can't get straight street confused with easy street either. Like, there ain't nothing easy about surrendering. Even Jesus asked in his most critical moment, he asked the Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done, Lord. When is the last time that you asked the Lord to sincerely search your heart Because I want your will, God, to be done in my life, not mine. Whether you, whatever you want in my life, that's what I want. Whatever you don't want in my life, I don't want it. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Michelle was just talking about it. I had to ask God to remove the shadiness in my life. Anybody else got, do you have some shadiness creep back in your, (laughs) yeah. 
When we got home from Florida, like she said, we, we stepped in the house and, um, you know, our lower level was wet. And so we walked around and we, you know, I started pulling carpet up and we got a shop vac and started vacuuming water. And then we called a couple contractors to come over and uh, to see if somebody would show, or, you know, help us mitigate that situation. And, and so after talking to a couple of contractors, what I found out was that your words, when you're talking to insurance companies, your wording matters. Like, it matters, right? Like, you say certain things and, and you might not get it covered. You say, you know, you say some other things, you can get some things taken care of, right? Intrusion, water intrusion? No, no, no. Accidental water? And so I'm talking to Joe, and Joe was letting me know that, um, you know, he was looking around and he said, well, I mean, if you, if you told him, you know, if you came in here and, and you kind of turned this water faucet on right here and you happened to walk away from it um, and, you know, the water, something got backed up in the pipes and the water came out of the faucet, happened to start spilling over onto the floor and you were away for a while and your floors got wet, you know, that's something that they would cover. But I ain't trying to tell you what to say, you know what I mean? So... You know, I'm just letting you know that that's, and I was like, oh, okay, I got it. I see what you're talking about, Joe. I get it. I get it. All right, that's cool, man. Well, look, I'm going to give you a call tomorrow, man. You come back. He said, yeah, we can come back. You know, if you, if you get that done, I'll charge the insurance company this much. I'll charge you guys this much if you pay for it. But that, you know, you let them know that, then, you know, you can get things covered. I said, cool, man, Joe, that's what I'm talking about, man. Up high, man, down low, too low, too slow, Joe. That's what I'm talking about. I'll talk to you tomorrow, man. Walked out, shut the door, I turned around, and Pastor Michelle was looking at me. And she was, <laughs> she was like, we cannot lie. I was like, fine, fine, fine. But I, but I did. I had to, I had to ask the Lord to, to remove that, that dishonest and deceitful spirit that Joe had brought into my house and woke mine up. But, but I thought at that moment, like, what, what good is it if I gain the whole world and lose my soul? There has to be absolute surrender, even when nobody is looking. For a general of war, surrender is, it means defeat. But for a follower of Jesus, it means absolute victory. So think about your prayer time. When's the last time that you said, Lord, I fully surrender to you? That I fully, I give it all to you. I'm, I'm not talking about, Lord, I surrender, but not that. Thank you for understanding, God. No, no, no. I'm talking about, Lord, I surrender. Even that. Even the stuff that I don't, I don't share with nobody, I don't talk to nobody about, the stuff that I'm embarrassed about, I surrender that to you as well. And whatever that is for you, 
We all got something. Don't act like we ain't got nothing. We all got something. That thing that God has placed his finger on, put on your mind, that we keep ignoring. That. Have you fully surrendered your life to him? That one thing that, that, that's keeping you from saying, yes. Yes, Lord. I don't, it's, I'm not surrendering some things. I'm not surrendering most things. I am surrendering all to you. We can never become the person God wants us to be holding on to something that don't fit us. You can never enjoy the blessings of God holding on to something that blocks a blessing. It has to be absolute surrender. I had to ask myself this week, are you completely surrendered? Because when we get titles, we can get beside ourselves. Yeah, we can get beside ourselves. But how many of you know that God ain't impressed with your titles? He ain't impressed with your titles. He's in love with your surrender. He can't do anything with our titles, but, but he'll make our crooked places straight with our surrender. Amen? Amen? Stand with me as we close. When, when Saul finally surrendered his will for the Lord's will, he was led to a street called Straight. And on that street, there was prayer. On that street, there was healing. There was acceptance. There was fellowship. Saul allowed himself to be misled the first half of his life. Only to speak truth and lead thousands to the truth for the rest of his life. Today we're being called to find our way to Straight Street, church. If you ain't there, are you willing to go? Are you walking in true humility before God and his people? Maybe today you need a revelation of where you are on this journey. Are you walking in absolute surrender? Or are there things that are holding you, holding you back and hindering your journey? If so, let's, let's make tonight the night that you just open your hands and surrender it all to Jesus. So, Father, we just thank you for this evening. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would humble us today. And we just thank you for your, for your mercy and your grace, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for meeting us where we are, God, but never leaving us where you found us. I pray tonight, Father, that you would give us revelation, that you would reveal yourself to us, God. We want to behold your beauty.
thank you tonight, Father, for, for healing, Father. We thank you for a oneness in the body, Lord. Help us to, to completely surrender our lives to you. Open up our hearts to you, Jesus. So that we can experience you in a new way, Lord. We're content with what we have, but we're never satisfied with where we are with you. We always want more. And so I ask, Father, that you would just remove the scales from our eyes and open the, the eyes of our heart today, Lord, and help us to see you. We love you and we bless you tonight, Lord. In your priceless name, we pray. Amen. 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 All right, give it up for the Lord. If, if you're here tonight and you need prayer, we're going to have some of our altar ministers come up. Hopefully we'll have some of our young adults up here to pray with you. I want to thank all of you guys for being here tonight. We'll see you on Sunday, 10 o'clock here, 11 o'clock there, Avon Lake. 10 o'clock, Wycliffe, Ohio, and 12 o'clock in Cleveland. Thank you guys for being here. We love you. We bless you tonight. Remember to live right, love everybody, and pray hard. My own.